Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 36 of the Learning to Lead podcast. This month I got the privilege to sit down with Matt Geppert, who is the president of the Southeast Asia Prayer Center, and uh, it was an absolutely phenomenal interview, Um, and I actually had never known Matt prior to our interview. Um, I'd actually heard of Matt uh, at the end of any interview that I do. I always ask whoever I'm interviewing if they could refer one or two people uh, that they think I should interview. And I was interviewing Jay Passivan for an interview I did a few months ago. And the first person that he said I got to meet with is Matt Geppert. And he said he's in Oakmont and he's doing unbelievable things. You have to check out what he's doing. And so I scheduled... uh, a meeting with Matt and got to spend about an hour and a half with him and it was an absolutely phenomenal hour and a half. Uh, again, I'd never heard of the Southeast Asia Prayer Center, had no idea they existed or what they did and uh, an hour and a half after meeting Matt, I was blown away by the impact that they're making um, around the world and it's incredible and I really encourage you, you'll get to hear a little bit about what they do in the podcast, but I really encourage you, um, I included a, a link to their um, their ministry in the show notes I really encourage you to check out their website to see everything that they're doing and even how you can get involved with what they're doing around the world um just an unbelievable ministry and just as a side note to that i would encourage you i was at a luncheon recently with a ministry leader and he was talking to a bunch of ministry leaders around the city of pittsburgh and he said you know what you guys need to visit each other you guys need to to see what each other are doing and not just get so narrow-minded and focused on your specific ministry and i thought there was so much wisdom in that and uh, i know for me as i've done these interviews and just working at light of life getting to to go and see uh what god is doing all over the city it's been an incredible experience for me and so that would be my encouragement to you um check out some of these ministries uh, that are happening all over Pittsburgh and see the impact that they're making and see how you can help and support them. And I think uh, that'll just really do a lot for you. Um, And I think you'll be surprised what God can do through that experience. So um, that being said, let's jump right into this interview. Uh, Again, I encourage you to get your pen and paper out. Uh, Matt is a young leader, um, but he is is a phenomenal leader. And I learned so much from him. And he really, really uh, encouraged me and some things that I shared with him. And so I can't speak highly enough of this guy. And I hope you enjoy this interview. Thanks. We'll see you next month. Thanks, Matt, for being willing to do this interview. I appreciate it. And why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about you, what you do, and what you're passionate about. Well, it's it's my pleasure, my absolute pleasure to be here. And I do love leadership, and I really appreciate what you're doing, and happy to be a part of it. So I'm Matt Geppert. I'm currently the president of the Southeast Asia Prayer Center, which is based here in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, but works in 25 nations around the world. We're positioned in prayer. We believe that prayer changes lives. And we have developed, through a lot of prayer and a lot of energy, we've developed a global community of friends who gather together to pray, believing that as they pray, lives will be changed and nations will be changed. And this is the ministry that that I have received uh, because of the very, very hard work of my parents, Mark and Ellie Geppert, and, uh, and a lot of other people around the world. Um, I'm from here in Pittsburgh. I grew up in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, went to Riverview High School. In 1998, we won the Whippeal Championship in football. I'm nice. going to plug that and get that in there. <laughs> we are the Raiders, and the Raiders are great. Um, and uh, So I'm a Pittsburgh kid. My parents are from Oakmont. My grandparents are from Oakmont. Um, I met my wife here in Oakmont. My dad met my mom here in Oakmont. Um, Oakmont is just a great community. Pittsburgh is an awesome place. I, my wife's name is Jessica. We're in our lower 30s. Uh, we have two boys, Joshua and Rocco. Uh, I'm German. My wife uh, 
is a Catone. She's Italian. Their family's from Swiss Vale. Uh, so I have Joshua, who's my German son, and she has Rocco, who's our Italian son. Uh, and so we're, we're very much a part of Pittsburgh. Um, and passions. I'm passionate about Jesus Christ. Uh, the Lord met me in a, in a yeah, raised in a Christian home, pastor's kid, missions kid, the whole thing. All the stereotypes that follow those two titles were definitely a part of my life. And the Lord met me in a very, very serious and real way through prayer uh, on my knees, begging him to be a part of my life And um, when I was in college. And from that point forward, I've been very passionate about him and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the friendship I have with the Holy Spirit in leading me and directing me. I'm passionate about leadership, and I'm very passionate about um, seeing lives changed, discipleship uh, around the world. Uh, And uh, other passions would be more like hobbies, fishing, hiking, spending time outdoors. Uh, We get to venture out to Montana once a year, and I get to pretend that I'm a professional fly fisherman, which is a lot of fun. That's awesome. I've never been fly fishing. Let's try sometime. We'll have to go. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so you're passionate about leadership. Why don't you walk us through your leadership journey? I mean, were you always passionate about it? Uh, how have you developed as a leader up to this point of where you're leading your parents' ministry? I think that every person from a young age wants people to follow them. Uh, and I think that every person from a young age strives to do that. And eventually some people will follow you. And there's a big difference between being a leader and being a good leader. And for a lot of my life, I had people follow me and I was a leader. But I would never have said that I was a good leader. I had a lot of people follow me into uh, things that that weren't necessarily fruitful or productive or or Christ-like in any way. Um, So I always wanted to be a leader and I always wanted to lead people. I learned leadership when I gave my life back to Jesus and started to to ask him to teach me his ways and started to study his ways. Um, and then God in his, in his manner surrounded me with a body of Christians to teach me and to train me and to spend time with me. And I found that core group through the Southeast Asia Prayer Center, through the ministry. When I uh, joined my father and and joined the team here in 2003, coming into 2004, we had an awesome founding board that took time out of their schedule to invest in me. Their names, I'm going to put their names out there if you don't mind. Jay Passivant, Ken Martin, uh, Ralph Palunky, David Whitney, uh, Everett Foss, Chris Marshall, um, and others as well, just took the time, and, and some of them on a daily basis, to call and check in on me as a 23, 24-year-old. And others uh, in monthly emails, you know, where you'd see each other sporadically, and they would just invest into me um, with everything they had. Yeah, I mean, so my next question was about mentors. I don't know if you want to go more in the depths of just how specifically those guys did, or if you want to take one or two and just say, you know, Jay Passivant specifically did these things that really added value. In Jay did a great thing with our organization. At that time, the, the organization was really trying to figure out if it was going to be a ma and pa, my parents, and what they had done with, with what God had given them, or if we would transition into a, a transgenerational 
uh, organization. We are making decisions at that time with projects that would affect the lives of the generations that would follow my parents and also myself. In other words, we had a sponsorship program for orphan abandoned children, and we were treating kids with congenital heart disease in Tibet were the two majors. So we made the decision. We're going to we're going to continue on with this organization. Jay Passivant played a vital role in showing us how to do that. He he. He, the first year, we came together as a board, and he said, okay, ownership begins with information. Take all of this information and and simplify it so that we can feed that information out into those who love us and pray for us so that they can take ownership of what we're doing. It was a, a vital decision in that time frame and, and uh, took us uh, on a development path. Then uh, we came together and he said, uh, we need to communicate on all levels. So we took that information the next year and created the network, the the channels to be able to communicate it better um, and develop the streams for human material, uh, spiritual resource to flow. Um, He just was a great leader. He is a great leader. And he he then, with me personally, he would consistently ask me, okay, Matt, what's your vision? What's your vision? And at 23, 24, 25, I could throw some BS at him, and he he would uh, look at me as if, come on, man. You know how many things I've heard in my life. (laughs) It it gave me the look like, go work on that a little bit and come back. We'll try again later, uh, which I needed in those years. So he was one. Ken Martin Sr. Ken Martin is a life insurance agent with New York Life. Um, Ken is taught me the disciplines of administration and and how to um, schedule your life. Uh, so that it would be productive, uh, he would call me. It, we would say with Ken that you would you you, you hated his call at eight thirty in the morning. Eight thirty in the morning. Oh, you couldn't stand it because he's going to drill you on what you're doing, what who you're meeting with, what you're talking about. Oh, we would hate it, but you would love his call at four thirty in the afternoon because at four thirty in the afternoon he would say, "Okay, man, I talked with this individual and they really want to support what you're doing." He would go out and advocate for you. Um, and he continues to do that, uh, but he really just poured way too much time, time that no person needs to, into my life. And there are others that did the same. Yeah, now with that, um, just like, so you're 24 years old, some of the great leaders in Pittsburgh are pouring into your life. Mm-hmm. Now talk to young leaders. One, from the aspect of, I think a lot of times young leaders are intimidated, even try to get an appointment with someone like that. Mm-hmm. And two, what do you think it was about you specifically? Was it the vision of what you were doing? Or what characteristics do you think you possessed that made them want to invest in you? And, you know, that other young leaders could say, okay, I need to act like this if I'm going to be mentored by the best, if that makes sense. I think, well, with those two individuals and individuals on the board, definitely their relationship with my father opened doors. I mean, that just, I'm not going to try to play around that. That that was the fact. And my dad had walked with them for so long and, and, and sacrificially sewn into their lives. And, and vice versa, it was a friendship that um, that they wanted to see the work that my parents had done continue. And they cared much more about the work continuing than they did specifically for me uh, with the board, okay, right. with those leaders. Other leaders that I met with, people like Roger Oxendale, who was the president of Children's Hospital, would take time and I'd meet with him. And, and um, 
others in the city, other pastors in the city would take time. And, um, and at Duquesne was a Dr. Moji Adyei who would take time to meet with me. And, um, and I think that the reason that they continued to take time with me was, uh, first, they knew I needed it. <laughs> it didn't take long for them to see that I really needed it. And if I was going to inherit this responsibility, uh, they knew that I needed some coaching and some, some direction. And, and second would be that I, I was hungry to get more. I wouldn't let them off the hook. I would call them back and, and email them back and, and, um, and I was hungry to learn more. And I think that that encouraged them uh, to give more. That's great. So you've been growing intentionally since college in leadership. What are some things that you do to continually grow as you need to, as the ministry grows, et cetera? How do you continue to grow and develop as a leader? I think that um, the, the number one thing for me is to pray. Uh, I've found that the busier things get, the more I need to take time with the Lord. And if we, we say in our ministry that we need to be praying an hour a day, so we set aside a time in the morning to pray for an hour, um, at some point in my life I'm going to get to that hour a day, just to be, just to be honest with you. I, the, the days that I do get that hour, the days that I get that hour, things flow just so much easier, so much simpler. And the, the Lord deposits into my spirit, and then I can speak into um, the people that God has given me to serve, and they gain from Him, not from me or from my flesh. Uh, in developing myself as a leader, time in the Word of God, time in worship, and time in prayer is in. It, people say that all the time, but it's true, man. It is true. It's so true. Uh, that develops me most. After that would be would be reading, you know, and um, grabbing as many books as I can as I travel. I spend a lot of time on an airplane. So just just reading as much as I can. And I've, I've found that executive summaries work best for me. Just grabbing the summary of a book um, helps me to stay on top of... Do you subscribe? Like, I know you see those advertised all the time. Yes. Do you subscribe? Okay. I subscribe to executive summaries. Cool. Yep. So if you've ever read a full book, or what's your favorite summary? You know, if you had to pick a handful of books for young leaders and you say you've got to, these are fundamental now the hot one is winning with trans global leadership for me well we're an international ministry so we work in all these different nations but the the we've just had another shift in our board where we've brought in five new individuals who range their age ranges within 10 years of mine so we have half of the board which are in their 50s uh, very successful have made it as leaders, and then we have half that are around my age range. They are Peter Chandra, uh, uh, um, Randy Swagger, Jeff Myers, David Pang, um, and then others that have come in that are a little bit older are Hing Chai Chang, Steve Chang, um, people that are very transglobal. Okay, and these individuals are all living in the United States. Peter Chandra has an Indonesian-Chinese background. Uh, David Peng is a pediatric cardiologist at Stanford. He's uh, from a Chinese background, but born and raised in America. Um, 
uh, so anyways, that would be a great book for our generation as we become more global. Other books that, of course, good to great. I'm gonna. I think everyone, everyone's gonna plug good to great. It it did it. I mean, we did flywheels and we did doom cycle and all that stuff. But it it's just an awesome book. It's just an awesome book. Good to great's a, a solid one. Uh, then we got into a lot of Ram Charan leadership pipeline was a good one um uh then on the marketing side jeffrey j fox his stuff he's the rainmaker and and others um on the um interesting side i don't know i don't know if i would 100 percent say for leaders you got to get into this but on the interesting side is is all the uh the uh tipping point outliers blink uh Gladwell stuff. Uh, the Generosity Factor is a great book. Truett Cathy, uh lined up with um, Blanchard uh, on that, and and then some of the Maxwell materials are, are have been really good as well. And then on the spiritual side, I'm going to keep going. On the spiritual spiritual side, everybody on the planet should read um, the hour that that changes the world uh, uh, Dick Eastman's School of Prayer uh, and that was the first book that I was assigned to read uh, for the Southeast Asia Prayer Center Disciplines of Prayer Dr. Dick Eastman his latest book Intercessory Worship is is fantastic too awesome I want to kind of transition and talk more about what you do here um and I guess one question I guess I would just ask that I've been asking leaders, how do you process pain as a leader? You travel and see a lot of, of different countries and a lot of things going on. And I know you don't like necessarily all the, the pain that you see, but how do you how do you process all that? Again, it's, it's easy to go on a mission trip and, and be like, wow, and come back, but you're in it all the time. That's That's the question. Okay, so I just came back from India, was in a place called Bhopal, India. In Bhopal, India, it takes a dollar to feed a person a day. There are 750,000 individuals living off of what they can find in the streets today in Bhopal, which means it would take $750,000 a day to sustain those individuals for another day. India messed me up pretty good. It's missions supersized. All of the challenges just became bigger. I saw people in Bhopal, people, not one person, groups of people together who were taking two bushes and putting a blanket over the top of it, and that was home. They were living under a bush. And I've seen, I grew up in a missions home. I've been on a perpetual short-term missions trip since I was three years old. I had never seen that. And so that was the question. How do I process this? So I came into this office and I I prayed for an hour. And I prayed and I prayed and I said, Lord, what on earth? What do we do? do? What do we do with this? And he led me to a scripture, Micah 7.19. And he did it in a funny way. I I just felt this nudge, Micah 19. And so I looked up. Micah 19, and of course there aren't 19 chapters in Micah. I'm humble enough to admit that I didn't know that at the moment, but I um, I found it quickly, and and Micah 7:19 tells us that 
He will again have compassion on us, and He will subdue our iniquities. You'll cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And I felt the Lord just saying, Keep your focus on me. Keep your focus on me. And all that I desire of you is to worship me and to glorify my name. Uh, So when the challenges look so impossible, God has a great way of bringing us back to the heart of it, just to worship him and and that everything that we would do with with what he's given us would glorify him. And that has helped. That's great. And then CPAC, is that how you say short? CPAC. Unless you're in Korea, okay. then it's S-E-A-P-C. So why, do you, why is what you guys do important? Why do you exist? We exist to see lives change through prayer. Our positioning is prayer. We're involved with these phenomenal, incredible projects all around the world that get rave reviews and they get press and they get notification and people really think, wow, that's an amazing thing. I want to be a part of that. And the challenge is is to consistently let people know that it's all about prayer and to come back to prayer. Uh, We believe that lives are changed through prayer. And we believe that, uh, that God, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, has given us access through prayer to face any impossibility and see it come to pass as a possibility. And our testimony, as Tibet opened up for the survey and treatment of congenital heart disease, which then changed the entire nation of China to adopt a policy that China would treat children with congenital heart disease for free, as Cambodia has opened up to invite us to bring Christian education to the entire public school system, invited us to participate in that. Our testimony is that if we ask God through prayer for the impossible to become possible, he will do that. He'll hear our prayer and he'll grant us the petitions that we require. And so we exist to encourage people to pray. No matter what the situation is, they can overcome it through prayer. That's good. I know we talked about this earlier, but why should we care about other countries? Can we really... Can we really actually make a difference here from the States? It's interesting. We're the Southeast Asia Prayer Center, and people have tried to change that name since 1994 <laughs> because the Southeast Asia Prayer Center, I, oh man, I, you know, you, you walk in the streets of Lawrenceville or Aliquippa or here in Oakmont, you say the Southeast Asia Prayer Center, and people say, what? What is that? Yeah. Southeast Asia? Uh, I same, when I first heard right. <laughs> Exactly. Everyone yeah. does. So I went to Bible school in Singapore. Out of all the options, I chose Singapore. And my in-laws thought that that was in China. You know, and, and, and so we deal with some of that. Uh, my in-laws are some of the most amazing people on the face of the planet. But I would say that the majority of the majority of Pittsburghers here in this area would would struggle to be able to tell you where that is, yeah. Singapore. I went to a Bible school in a church with twenty six thousand members. The church had just purchased a three hundred and fifteen million dollar convention center. One in six Singaporeans has a uh, a gross value of a million dollars U.S. dollars or more. It's one of the wealthiest nations on the planet. If you have 26,000 members in a church there, imagine what resource you have to be able to advance the kingdom of God around the world. 
I was in a Bible school with 500 students. I was one of four Caucasians. I was the only American in the school. 17 other nations were present. They were from all over Southeast Asia. And these were the people who were being sent from churches into that Bible school to be trained up to go back into those nations to be the leaders of the movement of God in Asia, which is happening fast and furious. And so I felt if I can get plugged in with these 500 leaders in my generation, there will be a network that will advance the kingdom of God through Southeast Asia. Why should Americans care about other nations or know about other nations or be participate in other countries because it's vital if we don't we're going to be left outside of the great move of God around the world which we are looked up to by those nations as the Christian nation that has sent more into those nations for the gospel than any other nation in history they all look up to us how shocked would they be when they find out that some of us wouldn't care to even get to know who they are or where they are? In the body, we have to be able to, in our generation, be transparent and be humble enough to become friends with the other nations. Or we'll miss out on a great, great move of God. Can you share for young leaders? Because I thought it was, it was fantastic when you said, you know, when I, as a leader, I thought my neighbor should know me. And then just talk about, I don't know if you remember what you said, but I can remind you if you don't. But. Yeah, for me, you know, you move into a town and, and you instantly start to look and check out who are your neighbors, who are my neighbors, who are my neighbors, who are my neighbors, who lives here, who lives there. And you forget the question. You're thinking, do I know my neighbors? Do I know who my neighbors are? And you forget, do my neighbors know who I am? Have I been humble enough or transparent enough to open myself up, open my door up, open my life up to allow for my neighbors to know who I am? What is it about me that um, that makes me different or what can I share with them or how can I exchange with them? And that, I think, is is something that's happened in America is that we, are, we love to go out and, and learn about other cultures, learn about other people, learn about other nations, um, but we're less likely to allow them to learn about us and who we are. And we were talking about social networking. I think the big facade of social networking is they say that it, we're transparent in who we are. But come on, man, my Facebook page, I'm, the only pictures that are up there are good ones yeah. of something great that's happened. I'm not putting up the weak the weak pictures or my weaknesses or anything. So it's it's not really the transparency that it's so publicized to be. True transparency comes through developing friendships. And not Facebook friends, but friends as Jesus would say, those who would lay down their lives for one another. And the only way that you can get to that point is by allowing your neighbors to know who you are and knowing who they are as well. And this may be your answer. That might be the answer to the next question. But I read an article about what you guys are doing in the Post-Gazette. And in it, you said, we don't go into the countries and say, this is the U.S. way. We are friends of those we work with, the government and local organizations, so we pray together. Basically, I just want to ask, like, what does that require? I mean, really, just what does it require to actually gain influence and trust with other cultures that you're coming into as a foreigner or whatever, and influence it and build that. Uh, <laughs> prayer and listening, listening, truly listening. Uh, all of the nations where we're currently operating and serving, there's an individual there or a group of individuals who has heard from God and has a vision for how they believe their nation can can succeed. 
And if we are able to listen to that vision and serve that vision that that individual has, it will go so much further than what we could do if we showed up and just did what we think should be done in that culture. And so there, the buzzword is indigenize. But basically, you just work with the individual who God has set apart, the man of peace in that community. Serve them. Serve them as much as you can with human spiritual material resource to see the vision that God has given them come to pass. That requires trust. It requires uh, friendship. And it requires discipleship. Discipleship is... is um, is a must. And so if you can disciple young leaders in those nations, then you know that you can trust them with the visions that God has given them. And if you're able to be discipled, then you can go a whole lot further. Um, so it, that's that's basically where we are. It, uh, I'm a missions kid, so I've seen missions my entire life. The most disgusting picture for me is the white hand handing down something to the brown hand in a village and the accolades that follow for the white man for what he had done for the brown man there. Um, it's um, It causes an over-under mentality which um, which defeats the the um, the Christ-like crucified life which we're taught and trained as Christians. It creates an over and above or a pyramid that's destined to fall apart at some point. Um, And also the individual becomes reliant on the human hand rather than being reliant on the Lord. It's the same thing in light of life. Everyone wants to come down and and make a difference with the homeless, but they don't want to get in the trenches and get to know you. I'm with you. I'm sure. I'm sure. And and I love light of life. And... uh, it's a it's a vital ministry in this city, and uh, and people really need to to get dirty with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So, all right, for time's sake, how can I have a few more questions on leadership, but specifically with CPAC, how can if young leaders are listening to this and say, "Wow, man, I'm passionate about what you guys do. Or I want to learn more." What can we do to serve you as a community of young leaders in your ministry? If we're looking at it from a, a Pittsburgh perspective, here yeah, in the city yeah. of Pittsburgh, uh, we have 40% of CMU is Asian. There are 10,000 Bhutanese Nepali refugees in the city of Pittsburgh. There are over 150 Chinese restaurants in the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, there, there are um, some of the world's most influential Hindu temples are located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania because of the confluence of the three rivers. This is an international city. Uh, If we can, as leaders in our generation, build a bridge for the sake of the gospel in our generation, build a bridge with those influential leaders who are flooding this city and connect for the sake of our generation and the generations to follow and for the body of Christ to develop, then we can change the world. We can change the world. And Southeast Asia Prayer Center, through prayer, has been given amazing platforms for ministry in healthcare, education, parenting, and economic development in Asia and around the world. And so if we can land some of those leaders 
into professional positions in those platforms in those nations, um, then we will have done a good thing. We'll have a, uh, a, a great bridge for uh, developing the body of Christ. That's good. I'll just ask one question about your advice to young leaders, but if you were to give young leaders any advice, what advice would you give them? Pray. <laughs> Pray uh, as much as you can. Um, it, we talked a little bit about uh, spiritual warfare. And, uh, and Paul said we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with powers, principalities, rulers of darkness, evil spirits. The principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and evil spirits. And so for a young leader, um, if you'll spend time in the Word, if you'll pray, um, you can identify some of those struggles that you're having. And they are, do I have the right to speak? Um, I'm young, so do I have enough experience? Um, if I take this quick shot opportunity, even though it may be corrupt, will it advance me further? If, if you stay, spend the time in prayer, then you can identify those three um, spiritual battles that young leaders face. And when they pop themselves up, you can be confident in who you are in Jesus Christ to be able to humbly ask Him for how to handle the situation. And He'll direct you, He'll guide you as a young leader so that you don't get caught in the corruption. So that you don't shy away from saying what it is God has told you to say because you don't feel like you have enough experience uh, and, uh, or the right to speak in a situation. I would encourage young leaders to uh, be who they are in Jesus. Stand up and be confident. That's great. Last question. I, I was gonna. I always ask people what they want to be remembered for. Now you're 33, so <laughs> I'm sure that's on your mind at some point. But a lot of the leaders I interview, if you want to answer that, great. But where do you see yourself in 20, 30 years? We we joke with friends of mine who are missionaries out in the field and have been there a whole lot longer than I have. We joke that like the worst death for a missionary is to get like hit by an ice cream truck as you're crossing the road. Like, you know, you want you want this glorious, you know, final scene where you ascend into heaven or something. But uh I don't know, to be remembered by um oh man. I would love for people to know that uh I was a sinner, a, a, a big sinner, and I actually connected with God through Jesus, and He actually changed my life, and that everything was different, and everything was better, and and the things that I've become have only been through Him, and. Uh, the things that I've left behind, I've only been able to do that through him. I'd like people to know that. I love and that. And to know him. Yeah. One of the best answers I think I've heard. And that's it. Anything else you want to say to the crowd out there? Just thank you. I and Yes, there is. If you get a chance, 
please listen to more of what Doug is doing and gather this this content from different leaders and share it. Share it, share it, share it. Get it out there so that in our generation, the generation that comes, we can see a good model of leadership produced and we can see righteousness restored in the United States in Canada and Mexico and the Americas. We have a, a big push this year, SEAPC. Uh, my, my dad came back from India last fall and he said, after 40 years in the missions mission field internationally, I've come back to see that uh, the culture of the United States is eroding for the sake of progressive uh, initiatives. And, and uh, he was sad, man. He was hurt. He was really sad. So we're putting it to action. From June 15th, June 15th through July 25th, we're asking people to pray for the United States, Canada, and Mexico. That's it. Don't sign up for something. Don't come to some seminar. Don't buy a book. Just pray. Commit to pray. 40 days. Commit to pray. And from July 1st through the 4th, at any time in there, get up and travel to your state capital. When you reach your state capital, go and walk and pray in the capital. You don't need a bullhorn. You don't need a sign. You don't need... Just pray and ask God to bring restoration to this nation. And we believe that if enough people would do that, that God would be faithful. Just as he said, if you will humble yourself, seek my face, pray, turn from your wicked ways, I will hear you from heaven. And I will restore your land and heal your land. And we believe that he'll do that. So, um, yeah, we need leaders. We need young leaders. And we need people to pray. That's great. Yeah. So thank you. Thank hey, you very thank much. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for what you're doing.